Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I know everybody's eagerly anticipating the Air Force New Mexico Lobos game. <laughs> yes, everybody. So who do you want? I want New Mexico minus 12. And when is this game being played? Tonight. Where? They don't even know that. How can you have a sports show and you don't know when it's the next I just Air don't, Force. I really, I don't follow I'm, Air Force <laughs> basketball. <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. From Josh Cohn in Bridmore, Pennsylvania, near Philadelphia. Why exactly am I checking the Air Force New Mexico score at 11 o'clock on a Friday night? It's too nervous ahead of the Eagles game. From Steve Reich in Alexandria, Virginia. Although I've been listening to Tony since the 570 evening rebroadcast, this is my first email to the show so That's that I back. can report my own David Aldridge moment. I was listening to Friday's show. as on, I was on my way to see my first New Mexico home game. Since I moved to D.C. 35 years ago, imagine my surprise when Carville dropped Air Force versus New Mexico as his blue plate two times pick. I said to myself, I know that game. As the game progressed, I found myself more concerned about whether the Lobos would cover than about the game itself. Yes, the Lobos are now coached by Richard Pitino, and Jamal Mashburn Jr. is an exciting talent. But damn it, this was a blue plate two times pick. As the clock ticked down and the Falcons kept fouling, my hopes rose. But sadly, the Lobos' 17-8 run in the last 5-27 was too little too late, and they wound up winning by only eight. My only consolation was that I got to be a witness to history, seeing Carville's first blue plate loss of the season. That was, wasn't it? Was. It was, yes. He was 20. At, he had gone 20-0, and 0, not 20 different bets. Now he's 20-2 and 2 as he lost that game. You know, I, I think got on that game early was Ari Melber. <laughs> yeah. I think, he, was, he, I think yes. he got on that game. Oh, by early. the way, I should thank, I never properly thanked, uh, Terry Gans was the little that sent us in that audio clip. Oh, that's so, very nice. Thank you, Terry. From Joseph O'Hara in Oakland, California, but always of Norfolk, Virginia, on the March 3rd, 2021 show, you all started it out by reading my email about how I ran over a stop sign and my sister was the one who was teaching me how to drive. Michael, upon listening to the story, went on to say, coolest sister ever. She definitely was. I'm thankful that you all read this email on air and to hear it again and again as my sister unexpectedly passed away at the beginning of January. And just hearing that story and hearing Michael say those words brings me a little bit of joy. And I got to play it one night for my mom and she got a laugh out of it, if only for as she remembered that day. Isn't that nice? That's, that's, that's so very sweet. Lovely. It's just so sweet. Um, as for the current shows, it just so happens that in the days following my sister's passing, one of our cousins brought over a cake for us, and one of our dogs ate the cake. <laughs> of course it did. A couple of days later, I was watching the dog go to the bathroom. It was having a hard time. Lo and behold, it was trying to lose the plastic wrap that had been on the cake. <laughs> had to go and pull it out of the dog. Final thing I'd like to add, it's been nice to hear you, Dr. Tony, talk about your experience on the tall ship, as that was my career for the better part of 11 years. While I never got to sail on a vessel as large as the one as you sailed on, I did manage to sail on both coasts of the United States, plus all of the Great Lakes in Hawaii. That's very, very nice. It's lovely. Um, I have delayed starting uh, the show about football games because one football game didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, this is what happens in sports. It's not scripted. It's spontaneous. And the 49ers, who were down to their third-string quarterback, lost them on their first series in the game. It's a good thing they got McCaffrey. You know, <laughs> and then they went to Josh Johnson, who was simply awful. He was awful. And they had no chance. The only chance they had was if their defense could win the game. And in the Eagles, their, their first drive was lovely. Went right down the field, the Eagles. In their most important drive, the drive that made the game 14-7, 
the 49ers defense did everything it could, and they kept getting called for penalties on third downs and, and things like that. And the, the other unsatisfying part of that game is the first touchdown that the Eagles got helped along fourth and three. by a fourth down pass, and it's, it's not it's, good. Yeah, it's incomplete. It's not good. Where are the people on the 49ers looking at the replay? Well, here's the problem. There was no replay. Where's New York? Yeah, where's New York on that? Where's New York? I mean... Because they went to commercial break, right? There was time. It wasn't... Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe no, it and you're getting no, hand but... signals by a receiver who knows that it wasn't oh, a catch. San yeah. Francisco got hosed. Yeah. And they got hosed repeatedly through the game. Should they have won? No, they no. had no chance. They had no chance of winning. And I say this as someone who picked them. They had once, once Purdy went out, they had no... They, what are you going to... You're down to your third-string quarterback. Now you have a fourth-string quarterback. There's 32 teams in a league. A fourth-string quarterback means that there's 100 guys ahead of him. And Josh Johnson was in Washington for an hour and a half. He's like watching uh, no Waterboy. Bobby Boucher got to that quarterback. <laughs> He's just no good. <laughs> yeah. So that game doesn't matter. The other game was a, was a good game. It's decided on a roughing the passer call. Um, Wilbon will tell you, he'll talk all the time about pretty boy quarterbacks, which is his code for Tom Brady and maybe Aaron Rodgers. Because he doesn't like Tom Brady. He concedes how great Tom Brady is, but he doesn't like Tom Brady. Well, Patrick Mahomes is a pretty boy quarterback at this point in his career. I think that's a roughing call. I think that's a fair call. But I also think that Patrick Mahomes gets the benefit of calls that other people don't get. Josh Allen, for example, big strong guy Josh Allen, gets hit pretty hard. Now, this is what happened with Roethlisberger and Cam Newton all the time. They got hit pretty hard. They didn't get the benefit of calls, even though they were star quarterbacks. Josh Allen's star quarterback doesn't get the benefit of calls. But Patrick Mahomes does, and deservedly so. You have never heard me say anything on the show in the last five years other than Patrick Mahomes is the best football player on the planet. Doesn't mean he wins every game. Doesn't mean I want him in every game. I don't want him if his ankle's 60%. But he's the best football player on the planet, and he won that game. Um, that was a pretty good game. Yeah, I would say there, there are some refing calls leading up to yeah. that that are the, that are the issues. And what's interesting <clears throat> is you saw when Cincinnati was going to throw the challenge flag and they didn't have to because the powers that be stepped NFL, in and uh, did, not let this, uh, did not let this yeah. happen again. No, it was interesting. You watch, uh, you watch Mahomes and, and Romo kept coming back to this about how when he's forced to stay in the pocket and can't just run around, he actually was able to get some bigger completions out of it. He zipped uh, it. Zipped now, it a few every, times. I think every quarterback is going to get that benefit on that call yes. where it is, <clears> uh, you know, in, in terms of how the game's going to end. But, you know, you do wonder if the injury, the high ankle sprain does affect the way that refs want to look at, you know, somebody like Mahomes and his abilities. I think they want to protect him a little bit, and I think he's earned it. See, this is how I feel. I think certain people have earned it. Gosh, you, you get in, in both games, you get nervous watching Hurts running the ball at the end of the game when he didn't really need to. Yeah. And Mahomes, uh, after he lost the ball, and then, you know, a couple drives later, it looks like he has the entire weight of the world on his body. By the way, about the Eagles, and I don't know what the opening line is, the Eagles have outscored two teams in the playoffs, I think 69-14. The Eagles are killing it. Like, the Eagles are killing it right now. You yes, just, they are. You know, I mean, you just... Yeah, but won't there be some pushback saying they haven't been tested yet, so you don't really know what you're dealing with? Maybe. Philadelphia giving two. Philadelphia is the favorite. Yes. Okay. Okay. It surprises me a little bit because Mahomes' ankle will be better by then. Yeah. And the AFC is deeper than the NFC, but we'll see. I wanted to talk about the tennis just briefly. I'm not going to tell you who won because it, it's over. The Australian Open. Djokovic won. I don't know. In the, in the women's draw, I don't even know who won the women's. 
Uh, uh, Rena Sabalenka won. And she's won on the, That's no, her first? For, she'd never been to a finals before. She'd okay. been to the semifinals a number of times, but this is her okay. first trip. But we don't win. We yeah. don't know. Okay. I'm just going to say this about Djokovic. Is this his 10th Australian Open? I believe so, yes. So when you stand around and you say that Djokovic is the best player ever, because he's now tied Rafael Nadal for 22 majors won, when you make this argument, as many people will do for Djokovic, I want you to just consider this. He's got 10 Australian Opens. That means he's got 12 other majors. 12. Nadal's got how many French Opens? 14? Yeah, I'd have to check that. Nadal's got, let's say, I think it's 14 French Opens loading up on the French because best clay court player of all time. That means he's got eight others. How many does Federer have? Federer's got 20. Yes, yeah, What's his 20. best one? His best one was Wimbledon. How many? I want to say eight or nine. That many? Yes. I mean, I think you should take away the person's number one wins and see how many other majors. Because I think if you do that in the women's draw, I think you'll see that Serena and Groff have the most balance. Yes. Yes, they did. Uh, So eight Wimbledons for Federer. And how many altogether? Uh, 20. So that gives him 12, the same as Djokovic. Yes. Right. I, I like the shape of your argument about trying to define greatness as to how you might play on something that's not your best surface. Yeah. But it just shows you that these three players are always going to be, you know, They're great. tied together as stars. They're great. And you look at the timeline, if someone comes just a few years before you and you're able to feed on that one major, that it does affect your ability to, you know, it's sort of the tiger effect where you have to try and take that out and see what you're able to do in spite of that one single obstacle. The reason I bring this up is because when you debate who's the greatest female player of all time. Everybody says of Margaret Court. Well, she's got 15 Aussies. You know, I mean, what's that? Back when no one really went and played that. Right. So, I mean, it got me to thinking, as I'll do anything to keep Djokovic from the top line. <laughs> right. That's the, that's the I, crux I, of this argument. I concede that. I concede that. So I came up with this exotic formula to see if I could knock him down yeah. a peg. So he would be even with Federer. Yeah. And 14 French Open titles for... Um, 14. For, that's yeah, what I thought. Yes, so I, yeah, 14 right. out of 22. Yeah. And he did, I will say this about Nadal, he did win everyone at least twice. So he just dominated at the French Open. Well, the three of them have. Yeah. They've won it. Well, no, no. Federer only won the French Open just the once. Oh, is that okay? Okay. At Extendless, we should do the Nicholas thing to see how many seconds they have or who they're losing to in the finals. Nicholas had 18 wins in 19 seconds. Yeah. (laughs) 37 top twos. (laughs) Please. I don't think any, only a fool would argue against Nicholas at that point. Tiger had the greatest 10-year run of, of anybody in anybody. history, but Nicholas But has. Nicholas is the best, yes. right? Yeah, I mean, 86. Come on, come on. So uh, on a personal note, I drove to Delaware on Saturday morning, and I drove back yesterday, <clears throat> very worried about my leg. Uh, stopped extra times on each trip to walk the dog around the parking lots of a Royal Farms, you know, which is one of the things Royal Farms are good. They're large. Yes. And you can walk a dog around a parking lot just so that you can get enough steps in that you feel now, that... Now, do, do you go to different Royal Farms every trip or, do, or have you marked your territory that you want to visit the same one same this two. one one spot on the highway? Same two. The, the one, as you're going out to the beach, the first one on 404 on the right-hand side, so five miles side, in. Yeah. And then the, <laughs> the one at the end that. of the first little town, the first little town, which is Greenwood. Okay, before Ellendale. Yeah, right on the right-hand side as well. And I, I do that. Yeah, and then I cross over coming back. And, you know, which well, you is, don't want to go across traffic. Well, you, what happens is it, it wastes a lot of time because you've got to wait for a long light to get onto the other side. 
but I'm happy to do it. Um, I was, you know, I walked and I was very worried yesterday, but the second half of the trip was totally stable. So I was fine. You know what was interesting? And this is a function of age. So I'm an old man. Um, there is, not only is there a physical component to my driving now because of my leg and my back, but there is a mental component to this. There is stress when you're driving and there are other people in the car and an animal is in the car and people are going, even on one-lane roads, 75 and 80 miles an hour and pulling out and passing you. You have to maintain uh, a real sense of focus. It's not the longest drive in the world, but what happened to me at my age, I was so whipped when I got back physically and you know, I would say mentally, mentally because trained. Of, yeah. that I took a nap for two hours. You know, I, I just couldn't have gotten out and gone to the golf course. Now, I you are out of practice. It's not like you've That's been doing right. this every... It's not like the summer season you're doing this every other week. No. And you haven't really done any big drives recently. No. I've been this, afraid. Been this, uh, doing too much this pain. This ages you. I'm a little worried about this. What? No, the, like, I, 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 know the feeling, nap? I know the feeling you're I'm describing. I'm 74. <laughs> throw, throw a couple car seats in the back and see how it feels to drive across the Bay Bridge and must around be the t- bend that, on the Yeah, on the that belt. must be tough. But at your age, you can do it. Now you just tune them out. I kept, I, all I did was try to call Charlie Steiner all weekend and find out when is it time to go. <laughs> you didn't call up the local ESPN affiliate to complain about programming? I did not. I did not. Um, Charlie, though. Charlie's younger than I by a year. Charlie loves what he does. I love what I do, too. But, you know, you worry. What else did I have? I don't think I had... Oh, my tooth fell out last night, but that's a story for another day. I was eating and my tooth fell out. Did you put it under the pillow? No, I put it in a plastic bag to bring to the dentist to show the (laughs) dentist what happened. I can't locate where it is. It's not in the front. Hmm. I don't know where it is. So I make an enchilada soup last night. I drive over to Tony's house to drop him off a deli container of soup. Lights are off everywhere. I see Tony and Carol sitting down to what looked like a beautiful... Dinner Cow for made two. lamb chops, grilled lamb chops, and very I felt good. And so spinach. uncomfortable that I interrupted your dinner. That I no, wanted lamb to get chops out. and spinach, but and my you tooth had already get up and say, "I bit into a lamb chop and I lost my tooth." Yeah, that's what happens when you're old. My <laughs> so teeth are old. This is where you have osteoporosis. I mean, <laughs> why my bones are my because my bones because your teeth. That's osteo- there's no strength. Oh God! I thought osteoporosis was just the main bones. It's the teeth. As yeah, well. I didn't know well, that. Your tooth bones connected to the. <laughs> so, but I think <laughs> Jabba, Carol, Jabba. Carol looked at it and thinks it's part of a crown, so that wouldn't be. Oh, that my actual yeah. teeth. That would be false teeth. So you get a we'll call. See, I'm going to find out tomorrow. I'm going to go Dino? see Dino yeah. tomorrow. Well, I got Dino news too, but that saves for another day. And we'll get out of here now, and we will bring Noah Petro is going to join us. And you say, who's Noah Petro? Noah Petro's in charge of planets for NASA. We're going to talk about this comet that's going to come and kill us within the next two days. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is from Jeremy Rilko. Jeremy has sent us music before. It's bluegrass music from his home in Asheville, North Carolina, where Arch goes all the time. He's got a house there. These are a couple of unreleased tunes from a new album that Jeremy has coming out at the end of February. 
And, you know, there's a Kickstarter available for people who'd like to contribute to pre-order the album. You can do that on his Facebook or Instagram page of Jeremy Rilko, R-I-L-K-O. This is called Back to the Country, and it plays in Noah Petro. And you're going to say, who's Noah Petro? Well, Noah Petro is our NASA expert. He is the planetary specialist, which I guess means that at some point they're going to try and send him to another planet. <laughs> the planetary specialist for NASA. And so let's get to... I learned about a comet uh, being able to be seen. I learned about this about a week ago. There was a story in the Post. Noah, can you explain what is this comet and why is it so important? Sure. Um, This comet goes by the rather esoteric name of C2022E3ZTF. And oh, sure, that? everybody knows that one. <laughs> sure. Old, we, like, we, we like to call it old ZTF for short. Okay. But what that means is that comet, the 2022 number, it was discovered last year. So this is a relative new comet that we only learned about last year. What makes this so special, at least to me, what I think is so special about it is that based on its orbit, what we know, what we've been able to observe over the last year, is that it last flew by the Earth 50,000 years ago and will probably never come back into the inner solar system again. So this is our one chance with this flyby that's happening effectively now to observe it, learn about it, and then it's gone. So you, and you they, expect us to believe this? <laughs> you expect um, us to believe that you found it last year and traced it back 50,000 years? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, and... How do we how do we, we figure out where it yeah. came from? How do you understand yeah. by watching it over almost a year now? You can see how it comes into the sun, how it's how fast it's going. It is going right now ninety times a speeding bullet, ninety kilometers per second. It is going incredibly fast, and so based on that fact, it's going very fast. It's coming into the sun. We can trace it back. Okay, where did it come from? It's come from what we like to call the Oort cloud, out beyond Pluto, this area of our solar system that is home to weird objects like this. Okay. And so it is flying in incredibly fast, will fly by the sun and zip on out and basically achieve a speed that will potentially send it out of the solar system forever. Could you just, for those of us who are stupid like me... Could you just tell us what a comet is, for example? How is a comet different from a shooting star or from a planet, or what is a comet? Okay, so a comet, you've talked about in the past how in parking lots come late March, April, May, there are these piles of dirt and snow in parking lots. Right. That's a comet. A comet is an aggregation of ice, of volatiles, and of dirt, effectively. Now, that dirt comes from all corners of the solar system, so it's very important dirt. But effectively, comets are either icy snowballs, dirty snowballs, or snowy dirt balls, which is another name for Eagles fans. So (laughs) when you you look at comets, you're looking at stuff left over from the earliest history of the solar system. Okay, well, there's the obvious question then for me is, if it's going that fast and mm-hmm. it's just sort of dirt and ice, why doesn't it break apart? Why doesn't ah. it burn itself up? How can it last 50,000 years? Because 
comets are flying through space. Space is like the two weeks between the Super Bowl. It's a vacuum. Nothing happens. And so there's nothing to torque the comet. Now, what's interesting about comets is it gets closer to the sun, they heat up. And so that heating can kind of loosen up material. And so potentially what might happen over the next few days as it gets close to the sun is it burps, it heats up, it starts boiling off some of that ice, some of that water. Right. And so they can become more active. And that's why we start seeing those tails come off of comets. And so the time when they get closest to the sun is the most exciting time in a comet's life because, hey, they start heating up. They start getting energetic. And so we might, over the next few days, see some more activity from this planetary interloper now can we see this if we have a clear night can we see this and where would we see it so this is the official tony kornheiser show comet c 2022 e3 ztf winter weather forecast for the 20015 okay it's very hard to see with street lights oh. any light pollution so i know you're very active in getting your street lights turned back on but unfortunately those are the things that are going to make seeing this comet incredibly hard if you have binoculars, you want to look to the North Star, which is at the you know, end of the, the Big Dipper. And just below that, you might, with binoculars on a clear night, I know we haven't had that many clear nights in the D.C. area recently, you might be able to see it. It can be faintly visible to the naked eye if you're in a place that's very, very dark. So right. I don't know if Rehoboth is better. No, uh... But for the next week is going to be the time to try to see it. In the next few days, it will be getting as close to the sun and Earth, um, uh, that, um, that, that it will be for the rest of its life. So this is the time right now uh, to, to try to go out and see it. Uh, why are you certain it won't kill us and take a left-hand turn and just bang into <laughs> us? Why are you certain of that? Well, it, it did have the Eagles winning because it's a green comet, so I think it's, it's not going to do anything until after the Super Bowl. No, you know, again, its orbit is very well known right now. It will not get any closer to the Earth than about 32 million kilometers, so many, many millions of miles from the Earth. So it has no danger, no risk of, of passing the Earth. In fact, its orbit doesn't even take it within the Earth's orbit of the Sun. And so there's no chance of this comet um, crossing the Earth, and certainly not until... The, uh, the Super Bowl, it's got some money on the Eagles already. Now, Noah, you, you think that this is, it's never coming back. This is the well, one shot. You think it was here once before and now the second time and it's never coming back? Well, th- th- so never is a strong word. Right. Its orbit, if it, if it does come back, it will be in millions of years from now. So its wow. orbit is so irregular. Yeah. Do you remember a couple years ago, NASA announced the discovery of this object that we thought came from a different solar system its orbit was so bizarre that it sort of passed through our solar system on the way to another to another yeah and so this comet could become a similarly just get kicked out into the rest of the solar system uh, into the rest of the universe and out of ours its orbit is so bizarre particularly relative to other comets we're used to thinking of Halley's Comet, which yeah. passes every 75. That is, Halley's Comet is the only one that does that, that comes on that scale of regularity where a human could see it once or twice in his or her lifetime. This comet behaves so wildly differently orbit in terms of its orbit than Halley's Comet or Hale-Bopp or other ones that we've potentially seen uh, in the last 30, 40 years, which is part of why it makes it so exciting and interesting because it represents a part of our solar system that we rarely get to see. 
Yeah, I just, the, the thing I've always wondered about is because you always grow up with Haley's Comet. I mean, it's been mm-hmm. in my lifetime and it's been in everybody's lifetime who's listening. Um, but I wondered if Haley's Comet gets too much credit because we tend to think of comets as a result of that as yep. having regularity. And what you're saying is they don't really have regularity. Well, <laughs> they do have regularity, but it may not be on human lifetimes. Right, you know? okay. And so um, we, the comets are these amazing objects because, you know, I... I Hey, if you remember Hale Bop from the mid '90s, I mean, oh my goodness, it was this amazing show in the sky. Yeah. Haley's Comet has had over history, going back to you know prehistory, these visits that have you know captivated humans and prehumans. But we get these interlopers. This particular kind of comet that is the one shot. It is the one chance for us to study it before it zips off and goes to its next appointment. And so, when we have these opportunities to see comets again, every comet is. They're slightly unique, and every time we see one, we learn a little bit more. Oh, okay, this one surprises us because it behaves this way. Studying comets, studying a planet, the rest of the solar system is, I like to think of it as like watching a sport where you don't know the rules. And so every time you watch one, you see one, you, okay, you appreciate a rule differently. And yesterday we got a master class in roughing, uh, <laughs> don't push the quarterback down when he's out of bounds. These comets tell us, how they behave, and that gives us a rule book of how objects in the solar system and indeed in the rest of the universe behave, and so that's why this one is so particularly exciting. And this is visible, you're talking about the visibility in D.C., but it's going to be visible all over the country at some point, or is it not? All over the world. And so, oh, okay. Yeah, and so, but the, the, again, the best places are the ones that are darkest, Right. so away from streetlights, away from urban light pollution, um, and you look towards the North Star, the Big Dipper, and if you've got binoculars, that helps, especially if you have an area that might have a little bit of light pollution. And, of course, it just has to be clear, which, again, in our area hasn't been well, we'll the see. last two nights. Noah, thank you so much. I mean, uh, I, most of the people listening are just going, well, I didn't even know this was going on, so now <laughs> they do. And then it's a, a respite from the football. Thank you, Noah. <laughs> My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks. Noah Petro, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We'll go back to real sports. We'll have Barry's Verlugo when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, banjos are so cool. Once again, this is Jeremy Rilko from Asheville, North Carolina, playing us his music. This is called Sweet Forgotten Love. Michael, if people like Jeremy Rilko want to send us their music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornheiserShow.com after uh, our most recent segment. Do you remember the book Comet in Moomin, uh, Comet in Moomin Land? No, no, I don't. That's a book from my child, or many years ago, but I haven't thought about it in a long, long time. <laughs> Check that out. That's fantastic. Um, Barry Sverluga joins us now. And I, let's, let's just talk about the job of, of being a sports columnist. And let's say that you were at both games yesterday, because you're familiar with both games. I always sort of think that losers are more interesting than winners. But I don't know that I would have done that in both games. What was the column in your mind on the first game? 
I think it may have been. So I agree with your assessment of losers are better than winners in yeah. a lot of instances because if for nothing else, that's the last swing you're going to have at that team. And you've got two weeks now that's for, right. whoever, for whoever won. So let's take the Bengals-Bills game I was at last week. I thought it was easy choice to, to do the Bills because that's an obit that you don't have another whack at. But, uh-huh. So in the first game, I think I might have taken – um, a swing at the Niners um, because you know they didn't play. They didn't get to play the game they expected to to play. And I'm not saying that if Brock Purdy hadn't gotten hurt, that he's some you know Brady or Rogers or Manning or whatever that that um, was would have made the difference in a, a 31 to seven game. But but that game didn't play out in any way. Um, like Kyle Shanahan could have drawn it up. Um, and I think there's very, very interesting questions, and this is why I might have taken a swing at the Niners, about what the heck they do at the most important position on the field in the future, because they clearly have a roster that is capable of going to and winning a Super Bowl. And now they've got a situation where, um, they have no idea what they traded up for in the draft a couple of years ago. Trey Lance. Trey Lance. That's right. And and they do have some idea that Brock Purdy can take care of the ball despite the the turnover that um, on the play he got hurt yesterday. That was it didn't seem like a, a dumb play. That was a football play. Um, they know he can operate that offense. He can move the football. Um, he has those weapons. Um, I don't. You know, I think it's a, just a very, very interesting question. Probably one of the top five most interesting questions going into next season is, is what does San Francisco do at quarterback? So, so that might have been, even though, you know, that puts aside an extremely impressive performance from from Philadelphia. Um, that might have been my swing from the first game. Yeah, I would have gone if I knew Kyle Shanahan well, and I could get him alone. I'd have gone to Kyle Shanahan. And if not, I'd have gone to Purdy and Josh Johnson and the quarterback's coach, Brian Greasy. I would have gone to them because the, day, the game was over. The game was over. I mean, they're down to their third string guy to begin with who's been a miracle. He's been 7-0. and And they got a guy behind him who's 80 years old who can't play. And they know he can't play. And you could see that they knew he couldn't play by the plays they called. And then when they put Purdy back in, they knew he couldn't throw. And they, they just... They had run out of everything, and their defense it was the only way they could win the game, and they kept getting calls on penalties. They would, I thought some of them were bad calls that kept uh, keeping the Eagles' drives alive. And, and it's like the string on the column for me would have been, you know, it, the air went out of the balloon. You, you, you did everything you could do. You were juggling nine things in the air. It was magic for seven weeks, and then you ran out of magic. You know what I mean? That's, I think, where I would have gone. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also think, you know, and this might be nitpicking, but when you are down to Brock Purdy, the last player taken in, in the draft as your quarterback, um, how do you allow yourself to have Josh Johnson yeah. be one play away? Yeah. When, you could have been in the running for, and I'm not saying Baker Mayfield is is some sort of like savior, but it's a better option if Brock Purdy gets um, gets hurt than than Josh Johnson. I mean, 
I looked at the numbers. Josh Johnson, the last time he started more than one game in a season was 2018 in just a disastrous year in Washington when they went through. You know, he was like the eighth quarterback yeah. in, in D.C. that year. He, he can't. He, he's proven over and over he can't play. And, and then you're right. When, when Purdy went back in, uh, the game, you, you could see the 49ers saying, well, we are behind whatever it was, you know, 21 to 7 or 28 to 7. We have no hope of coming back because it's it's second and eight and we're running and it's we're running third on third and fifteen because he yeah. can't throw, right? You know he, right. he he can't throw and and yeah. So that would have been my, what's your column on the second game? Uh, my column on the second game, I think, has to be Mahomes. Hundred I mean, percent. It's just he's you know. Hundred percent. Sometimes I I say, you know, it's time to think inside the box. Like don't. <laughs> overthink it. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the league. Yes. He was playing on one leg. He threw for 326 yards. He scrambled for a huge first down at the end. Even when Joe Burrow, who had won at Arrowhead and come back last year um, to win the AFC championship game, did it again and threw that amazing ball to T. Higgins, it was limping Patrick Mahomes who uh move the Chiefs down and set them up um, to, to win the game. By so the I, way, I, if that field goal misses and they go to overtime, I'm betting on Cincinnati. I mean, that's just, I don't disagree, it's me. I don't, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. And, and that, you talk about the penalties from the first game. Yeah. I mean, if you're a columnist in Cincinnati this oh, morning, yeah. um, you're dying about the, the penalties and, and that last penalty um, that made it a 45-yard field goal rather than a did you a, not a, did you not think that I thought that was legitimate pen I look I think Patrick Mahomes is in the class of protected quarterbacks that he has earned but I also percent. thought that was legit a thousand percent you can't do it he was out that's, of bounds right he was he was it's out a, of bounds and that right. that's a that's a difference making a championship making play but Mahomes you know don't take your eye off the ball there he's the star he's the stud he's the story like that's that's what you go with yeah so if you're if you do the losers what the, the the wrong here's the mistake. If you end up doing a Cincinnati column and you basically say, Well, we had this really good chance and it was sort of not to be and we've done it before and maybe we shouldn't have talked about Burrowhead Stadium and it just sounds whiny. It just sounds whiny because they're really good and they're gonna come back. And the other guy all week the drama is what percent of Mahomes is gonna be out there and can he get them to the Super Bowl, right? It, that he's the only column. He's the only column, unless you're unless you're working for the Cincinnati Enquirer. Yeah, and well, and I think that um, the interesting thing about it, and I did think all week, like, how can you handicap this game when you don't know how handicapped Mahomes will be? Yeah, and I think the answer ended up, and one reason that that this would be the column was he was significantly hampered. You could tell yes. he was limited. He didn't have the burst, he could not push off. There were some throws that were affected. But when you look at his stat line at the end of the, at the, end of the night, you know, he is um, 29 of 43 with no interceptions and 326 yards. Like, like he put up Patrick Mahomes-like numbers without a Patrick Mahomes-like body. Um, and that is just, you know, when, when stars – will themselves into star-like performances when they're when they're not at 100%. I mean, that's a walking, living, breathing column that falls into your lap. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think I think that that's what you have to write. Um, the first game, you just there's nothing there. I mean, there was just nothing there. The game was taken away from you by what happened to Purdy. You don't have a chance with it. The second game is a little bit better. I was curious. Um, it, it, it apparently Philadelphia, and it's two weeks away, but Philadelphia opens up as a two point favorite. Um, uh, Philadelphia looks very good, and they had a wonderful year. And when Jalen Hurts was their quarterback, I think they're like at this point fifteen and one or something like that with Jalen Hurts as their quarterback. But the other guy is the best player on the planet. <laughs> Amazing, yeah, he's the best player on the planet. You know, and you can. You know, what do you do in the lead up? I mean, you write about Andy Reid because he's coaching against his old team. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of things you can talk about. You talk about Nick Sirianni. You talk about the owner at Philadelphia firing a really good coach because he wanted Jalen Hurts to start. There's a lot of internal drama. But ultimately, Barry, it's about Mahomes again to me, right? Yeah, and third Super Bowl, trying to win um, a second one at such a young age i mean 27 like this you know i mean it's been established he just played in his fifth straight afc championship game um but we're we're i think what you're what you're wondering about as you move to the super bowl and won't be decided by whether he wins or whether he loses um is you know how transcendent is is he going to be like he's he's fully developed a fully formed character um a master of um, you know, of the offense that Andy Reid has put him in and Andy Reid has designed for him. Um, he has power in that they signed him to a, essentially a lifetime contract. Um, he has input on personnel. He is, he is both fully formed you know, in maturity and from a physical sense, but also has you know, pick a number of years going forward, another decade to do this. And, and this is not the same team around him. But it's not like he's just cranking with the same core to this third Super Bowl in, in five years. Different pieces have been moved around. Now, he's, you know, I mean, <clears throat> he does have Kelsey, and it's not like everything has changed over. But, but he's, this, he's the focal point, the fulcrum. Yes not just for the Chiefs, but in some ways for the whole league, because he, in that debate that you could have had, um, and I think we talked about a few weeks ago, like how do you rank the quarterbacks in, in the AFC? Um, we now have a much clear, if it wasn't clear that Mahomes is one above everybody else. He is. He's above um, everybody. He, he is now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and Burrow will be there nipping at his heels, and, and who knows what Lawrence develops into, but, but Patrick Patrick Mahomes is the star of the NFL, um, and that means in in the United States, um, he's the biggest star in sports because this this sport rules them all. Agree. Um, by the way, I just wanted to also mention you wrote the right column on Patrick Ewing. It was a brave column. It was totally the right column, totally the right column because they've you know this is where they are now, and it, it cannot change. Right? Yes. I mean, so I went to the DePaul game, which you know could have been there. I mean it's hard to even form this phrase could have been their 30th straight big East loss. They Georgetown and Syracuse and to a lesser extent, Villanova um, and Providence, Boston college and whatever they, they formed what was a defining college basketball conference um, 40 years ago, the big East. It was 
badass, and those games were events, and they are so far from that now. Um, it's irreparable. And, and so a, a win over DePaul at home uh, in front of 3,700 people um, to go to one and nine in, in the Big East, that, that doesn't change anything. You would want for Patrick Ewing, who, you know, as an unpaid laborer, helped build that university into a national brand. Um, you would want for his tenure at his alma mater to be more successful. You would just want him to help lift the program up, and and under him the program has fallen to yeah. really unimaginable depth. No, um, it, so there has to be a change. It makes it a braver column when you write it after they win. I mean, it's the, it's the right column. It's the right column. Thanks, Barry. Talk soon. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. Barry's Verluga, boys and girls. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Joe Ferrand in Orlando, Florida, who writes, I'm an elementary school music teacher at Spring Lake Elementary in Orlando. In the Orlando area, after years of listening to various renditions of your mailbag jingle, I finally decided to record my own with my students. This is our special performing group at Spring Lake called Sonidos. These 23 fourth and fifth graders learned your jingle and accompanying instrument parts in 30 minutes. We hope you enjoy it, and we would love to be the official elementary school music ensemble of Tony Kornheiser. You need to turn up the xylophone. Done, yeah. <laughs> you don't get a xylophone all that often, <laughs> do you? Yeah, it's fantastic. You don't get it. The yeah. XY. <laughs> Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, uh, Monday means bagel sandwiches. Good. We got them uh, from Bethesda Bagels. You'll love them as well. Uh, just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. And before we get to the mailbag, let me just say I used to hurry a lot. I used to worry a lot. I used to stay out till the break of day. Oh, that didn't get it. It was high time I quit it. I just couldn't carry on that way. I did some damage. I know it's true. Didn't know I was so lonely till I found you. You can go the distance. We'll find out in the long run. Those are the Eagles kids. Thanks to our guest today, Noah Petro from NASA. Actually from NASA. It's not made up. He's a real guy. <laughs> and Barry's Verluga. Thanks to our sponsors, HelloFresh and Books. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Dan in New York. Not Dan Byrne, Dan, but it's about Dan Byrne. This is from Dan Oshinsky. During your interview with the great Dan Byrne, he never actually answered your question about which movies he's written for. So let me allow, so allow me to mention among Dan's fine songwriting credits his work on the 2007 biopic parody Walk Hard, featuring John C. Riley. Byrne's Dylan ripoff Royal Jelly, featuring the opening line "Mailboxes drip like lampposts in the twisted birth canal of the Coliseum," is particularly brilliant. <laughs> his co-writer on many of those Walk Hard tracks, Adam Viola 
who you'd better know as the co-writer and real-life lead singer of Erie PA's own The O'Neaters on That Thing You Do. And here's one more just to prove that the Dan Byrne Sonic Universe is somehow deeply connected to your show. Viola's co-writer on That Thing You Do was the late Adam Schlesinger, the bassist for The Fountains of Wayne. Among Schlesinger's most underrated work for that band, the song 92 Subaru, about a delusional man whose <laughs> friends try to talk him out of buying a used Subaru. <laughs> John Holt in Chester, Virginia, I wrote a really clever, smart, and timely email, but then my dog ate it. <laughs> Chip Robinson in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, I've waited patiently, but I believe I have the winner in the What My Dog Ate game. Um, our former rescue lab, Simon, was as gentle and quiet a dog as you've ever met until left alone. Simon had the worst separation anxiety I've ever encountered. For his safety, we kenneled him while gone. He would bite and bend the metal bars until he could smash the locked door open and get out. After trying two to three different models of kennels, we decided to just put him in the fenced backyard while gone. As it turned out, the fence, four to six feet high, depending on where you were in the yard, wasn't able to contain our sweet Simon. So we added one of those invisible fences inside the wooden fence in the sure. hope that its mild shock would deter Simon from scrambling over the fence while we were away, and indeed it did. Thus confined to the backyard, Simon took out his anxiety on the house itself. The dog ate four rows, about three to four feet long each, of siding off the house <laughs> and ate the Tyvek wrap under the siding so that when we came home, the bare plywood of our home's exterior wall was exposed. I've enjoyed all the other dog stories, but Simon says, beat that. From Leslie Thomas from Hillsborough, North Carolina. My neighbor's dog comes over to our house for play dates with our dogs. When I am watching baseball, Blue for Blue Devil will mar bark when the pitcher pitches. I think she's calling balls and strikes. <laughs> from Rupesh Sharma, our old friend from Lebanon, Ohio. I love Rupesh. Haven't sent you a message in a long time. Wanted to let you know that I'm on episode number 48 of <laughs> Chuck and Roxy. And, and to which the response is, who the F are Chuck and Roxy? <laughs> From Andrew Vogelin, Spokane, Washington. While I always get a little giddy every time an email of mine gets read on the show, I wanted to issue a small correction on my email regarding betting with Carville. The number I said you would have made was 524 million, not thousand. An easy yet substantial mistake to make. Oh. This is based on a starting bet of 500, as well as the assumption that you get even money on all your bets and you find a sports book that is willing to let you lay down as much as $260 million on a single bet, perhaps knowing you've already won your previous 19 bets. A tall order to be sure, and 500 to start gambling is not an insignificant amount of money to many. So if you're interested in only making 524,000 by doubling your bet with Carville every time, you need to begin with only 50 cents. An achievable starting position for any of the degenerates who listen to this fine show. Most unfortunately, I've not been betting with Carville and have thus not achieved generational wealth this year. Maybe next year. But would you have put it all down on the Lobos? Would you yeah, have had you to let, let it, it ride? Uh, if you let it ride, On yeah, a double that... blue plate special. <laughs> From Jim in Lutherville, four words for you, Tony. <clears throat> Talenti double, double dark chocolate. Three more words. You are welcome. That's ice cream? We yeah, think. you're going out there today, aren't you? Talenti. Talenti, yeah. You'll... Is it ice cream or gelato? I think it's ice cream. I think they might have some gelato. gelato. Or is we'll it gelato? Gelato is, is too icy for me. Okay. You know, I'm not a gelato guy. Too icy. Let's unpack this I a mean, little bit. I mean, it doesn't have a, a milk component. <laughs> okay. That's what I mean. It's like all ice to me. Uh, from Damon in Seattle, Washington. On a recent episode, you mentioned Hugh Jackman amongst your favorite Broadway performances. I said it was my favorite completely. In The Boy from Oz, Hugh that's Jackman. Right. That's 15, 20 years ago. 
I was in New York City for the U.S. Open in August. I was fortunate to see you in The Music Man. He's a terrific film actor, but his theater performance was even better. I assume he'll do another Broadway show at some point. He's a must-see on stage. So you have to realize this. He plays in musicals. Yeah. Like, he's not Wolverine. No, he's a five-to-a-player. I mean, that's yeah, not he's what a five he does. To a player. Yeah. Yes. He's Willie Mays. <laughs> he really he, he can do everything. But I think that yeah. ability to capture that character is why he can be so big on the stage. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Wolverine yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. He knows how to do that. From Josh Barber. Since you mentioned you've been inundated with emails about dogs eating foreign objects, I wanted to share my experience when I was working at a fish store. A fish store in West Hartford, Connecticut, as a 17-year-old. Hmm. A mother and son came running in, hastily speaking panic Spanish, and presenting a Tupperware container with concern written on their faces. I opened it to find a chubby goldfish with a rather large pebble stuck deep in its mouth. Goldfish are known to graze the bottom of their tanks looking for food, and this one must have mistakenly gobbled up an entire pebble. It was not coming out on its own. I thought for a moment, grabbed a nearby paperclip, fastened it into a hook, scooped the fish into my palm, and was able to pry the pebble out of the goldfish's mouth. They were overjoyed, tried to pay me, I refused. While this might not be at the level of gallantry that is bestowed upon the athletes of the Patriot League, I'd like to think it counted for something. Yes, it does. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Expired. 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 Thanks, Aunt Bonnie. <laughs> I'm going back to the country Where the world turns a little slow Giving up on the city life And always trying to earn more Left my love down on Broadway Closing down all the bars Now I spend my time staring Out at all the stars But tonight has got me wondering If her love was really true so tonight I'll dream of the city And you Sure hope you have a good life 
of the city And you And sometimes I'll still dream of the city And you your memory now as the moon rises in the east i wonder if you at least are thinking and weaving over thoughts of me Thinking and weeping over thoughts of me. 